Yeah. And um Thank you. and uh he's got God's word for us and it's it's important as a body of Christ to hear from a number of different voices, uh not just one voice all the time. Is in fact one of the favorite phrases this brother has, he says, I don't have the monopoly on brains. And um and that's a beautiful statement. And uh as the body of Christ is built up from a variety of different voices, so I'm just excited to have him here with us today. So y'all are ready to study God's word. So I'm gonna turn it over to him. I'm gonna pray for you, brother, and then um We'll dig into uh, the scriptures this morning. Father, thank you again for the privilege. I ask God you bless my brother now as he brings forth your word. I pray for all, every one of us, myself included, God, that we would, you'd give us ears to hear, Father, today. Ears to hear your truth, God, your word. And, um, and maybe even as we're in uh, these seats here together, uh, I ask, Lord Jesus, um, uh, that you would speak to every heart. And, and as you're there in your seat, I just want to invite you to have a little conversation with God and, uh, and say, Lord, speak to me today. Just privately there in your own heart. Just say, Lord, speak to me today, for I intend to obey. So bless my brother today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. My name is Everett Peters. As Pastor has mentioned, I go by Pete. I'm elder here at Prince Van Plaza Baptist Church, and I'm ecstatic to be here, to be able to uh, worship and praise the Lord and unpack God's word and hopefully inspire us to be obedient and go forth to do that which God has told us to do. So please turn with me the Gospel of John, found early in the New Testament, John chapter 4. And while you're turning, I'd like to thank Pastor Daniel for allowing me to hone what I believe God has has um, called me to do, and you, the congregation, for confirming by nominating and voting me as to be one of your, your elders. So we're going to be reading out of John uh, chapter 4, verses starting with verse 1 to 42. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst 
again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now have that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. We'll continue to read during the message. In the scriptures that I was just read, John records about an event that he'd like those that would read this message and for us also to know about. It is one of the many events that our Savior Jesus the Christ did. Jesus being our great example. For not only did he converse God's message, but he also demonstrated God's will. We should aspire to walk as he did. Last week, pastor started a new series named Who's Your One? So as we focus on the on who's your one, I'd like us to ask, I'd like to ask you that while we open in prayer, that you pray for them, you think about them as we're talking or we're discussing in this message. So let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, the words that are coming out of my mouth are, are from my heart, and so Father, I ask that, Lord, you would change my heart, that those words that come forth, Lord, will be from you and only from you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of today's message is, Do I Have an Eye on My One? Do I Have an Eye on My One? Uh, that's a twofold question. For when I have my eye on the one person, small o, uh, that, that God has placed on my heart, I've committed to share my faith with. I have to also keep my eye on the one capital O, 
my Lord and Savior, and how he modeled this process. Prayerfully at the conclusion of this, we will be able to see how Jesus, in, his, in this instance, had an eye on just one. And that because of that one, a movement swept through an entire community. And that it may influence us to be on mission to have our eye on the one God has placed on our hearts to share his good news. So in many cases, we find Jesus talking to the multitudes, don't we? We recall the, uh, him preaching on the, the Sermon on the Mount. We recall him talking about or talking to and, and presenting uh, his message to the, the 5,000 and the 4,000. But he also ministered to the one. We remember Zacchaeus as the multitudes were with him and he saw Zacchaeus in the tree. He said, today, Zacchaeus, come down from there. He was, he was focusing on the one. How about Peter when he, after his crucifixion, he goes to Peter and he says, Peter, does thou love me? He was focusing on the one. So point number one, when our eye is on the one, we are intentional. Read with me verses one through six. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So what is it that we know about this place called Samaria? You know, there was a, an animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. We see that in several places in the Bible, but no, none is, as stands out more than when Jesus goes and uh, the, the lawyer comes up to Jesus and asks him a question. He says, uh, where's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, to, to love thy God as thyself, or to love thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. And so then the, the lawyer comes back to him and he says, hey, so who is your lawyer? And it was like almost like a, you know, the, some of the jokes that we might hear about the three people, right? So Jesus goes on and he, he explains, he unpacks, he says, okay, there's a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. You know, and, and he goes on and he talks about how that the priest goes to the other side and the, the Levite goes to the other side. Here were prominent religious individuals that should know the Word of God should love God. But then here's this old Samaritan. He's the one that provided help. So Jesus finishes up and he says, So, now that you know this, lawyer, who is the neighbor? And the, the lawyer could not even say the Samaritan. He says, Him that showed mercy. And so there was this animosity against between the, uh, the Samaritans and, and the Jews. After um, Israel was taken by the Assyrians, uh, they moved all the Israelites out of that, that area, the northern kingdom, uh, out of that area, and they, they, they repopulated with other uh, cultures that had been, uh, had been taken. 
And so when the Jews, uh, when, when the, the uh, southern kingdom got uh, taken away by the Babylonians and then returned, they were still there. Those other cultures were still in the land, and they, they were settled around a place called Samaria. And so now, uh, as the Jews come back, and we, we see in Ezra, and in, even in Nehemiah, where, where these folks are really um, a thorn in the flesh of the Jews that are returning, um, we see some of that animosity starting to, to culture, to, uh, to cultivate. So there were three traveling routes to get from where Jesus was from Jerusalem to, um, to Galilee. And this is uh, a little fuzzy map there, but um, Jerusalem, as you can see down here at the southern part, oh, thank you. And Galilee is up on the northern part. And It explains in uh, uh, John chapter 4 when we started uh, in this chapter that, that Jesus was baptizing on the Judean countryside. He had gone down to Jerusalem for Passover, and now he is moving to go uh, to the Jordan to do some, some baptism. We see that uh, his disciples are doing the baptism, and John is being up a little bit further north uh, in another spot. We see that Jesus is, um, the, the group that are coming to, to Jesus at this particular time is more than what John is, and so they need this bigger body of water to, to baptize. Um, and so we see him probably in near the southern area here near Jericho, all the way over there. Mm. Whoa, sorry about that. And so looking at these routes, it really would make it more sensible. As you can see, the brown uh, route is the, the, uh, the coastal route. The uh, bluish or purplish route is the route going through Samaria. And the reddish route is the eastern route, which most of the, um, uh, the, the, the Jews would take to get up to Galilee. It would seem that it, that would be the most easiest route for Jesus to take. Yet, he goes from near Jericho, thank you, through the middle, and you'll see Sikar right there, to go up to Galilee. The Greek word translated for had to is the word die, uh, D-E-I, which is um, trans better translated to it was is necessary providing the inference that it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria, maybe not for travel's sake, but because the Father had something for him to do. As we provided last week, or at least challenged you to identify the one in your circle of influence to reach, that is, to present the gospel to, have you been this week intentional to that one? We are convicted that it is necessary or are we convicted that it's necessary for us to go and seek that one out? And this may mean setting an appointment, maybe by asking them over to the house or inviting them to coffee or, or to dinner, taking them to a sporting event. Whatever it is, we need to be intentional 
as our Lord was intentional. Point two, when our eyes are on the one, we interact on engaging with that one. Look with me on verses seven and eight. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Did you notice how Jesus started his interaction with this woman? I mean, he doesn't start off by preaching the gospel to her, does he? He starts by engaging her on an everyday level. Give me a drink. I mean, imagine the creator of all things comes and asks her to give me a drink. Even though she doesn't know that yet, do you think that having the upper hand made her feel valued? I mean, felt slightly important and empowered? Especially as many of you know, and is somewhat revealed in her visiting the well at the hottest time of the day, she wasn't highly valued by our community. When someone asks you for something, doesn't it seem to make you feel more valuable? You have something someone else needs. There is value in that. So this begs the question, how do I interact with my one? Do I make them feel as though they are valued, that they have wealth, worth? Because don't you know that Jesus thinks they have worth? He shed his blood and died upon the tree for their opportunity to have eternal life rather than eternal damnation. Do we see our one in the same light Jesus sees them? Are we willing to deny ourselves and interact with them for their good? Point number three, when our eyes are on the one, or our eye is on the one, we are interested in them, and it is displayed when we embrace their inquiries. She has some questions, doesn't she, during this, this interaction, this conversation. Look with me in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said unto him, How is it you, a Jew, ask for me, or ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. The woman said to him, verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Jesus embraces her, 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 her uh, inquiries. It helps develop the dialogue. It reveals what she knows or what she thinks she knows. She places herself in a position of wanting to know Wanting to learn is not a confrontation, but a genuine attempt to understand. Yeah, here's a, a quote for, uh, by uh, Lou Holtz, a retired football coach and motivational speaker. I never learn anything talking. I only learn things when I ask questions. She asks these questions and Jesus embraces them as he is navigating, as he uh, navigates her to what it is he'd like to reveal to her. He's patient. He's lo loving. He's kind and he's gentle. Many times we assume when people, when someone asks uh, what we say, they are 
attempting to thwart or, or discredit what we're saying. And in some cases, that may be true. But I would argue in many more the case, this one in particular, they just want clarification and to be understood. Point number four, when our eye is on the one, we are informative to them. He has not only showed interest in listening to her inquiries, but was very informative in, in answering her. Her first question, why are you speaking to me, a Samaritan woman? Me, a different race. Me, a different culture. Me, a different gender. And Jesus answers, because I care about you. I have the substance that will satisfy you. Jesus answered, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask, ask him, and he would have given you living water. Do we ever find ourselves regurgitating information that is not relative to the person's situation we are talking to because we think we are up? We think we are obligated to tell them something about Christ. Sometimes we treat those we are called to minister as a project and not as a person. See, Jesus related to her and the, her specific need at the time and placed himself in the position of servant, creator of the universe. If you would ask, I would give you. Stephen Covey says most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. Jesus not only understood her need, salvation, but also her need to be valued. Her second two questions, you don't have a tool. The well is deep. How do you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus navigates her as he is transitioning from a regular conversation to a gospel one. After Jesus informs her what type of water this is, in verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst, be thirsty again, but whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up eternal life. A water that one drinks, they will not ever thirst again. Versus a water that will temporarily quench one's thirst, meaning she would have to come, or she would not have to come back to the well and draw again. She became quite interested. Isn't that what our one is looking for? How when they are in need, how when they are in pain, when they're in turmoil, when they're in loss, when circumstance enters into their life, how can they not go into depression, into sorrow, into disgust? It's only because of knowing he who provides that living water. 
I can live in a win-win situation. You know, Paul writes over in 2 Corinthians, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And to this point, does anyone notice that there's no indication that she's even drawn any water from Jesus yet? I mean, that was the beginning statement, right? Give me the drink. She still hasn't given him any water. So she asked of Jesus to give her this water that she would not have to come to the well to draw. And Jesus responds to her, go get thy husband. Kind of odd, right? I mean, how did you jump from here to there? You know, but culturally speaking, it was customary that if a transition or transaction occurred, a man would do business with the man of the house. And so it wasn't something that was kind of odd for that day, because she had also introduced that thought earlier when she said, why do you speak to me, a woman? So we see Jesus asking her to go get her husband. 2020 hindsight, we know that Jesus knew, knows she doesn't have a husband and has had five husbands, and the man that she's with now is not her husband. Provides an indication, mostly due to the time of her coming to the well, that she was not highly valued in her community due to some sort of transgression, some sort of, of, of reason that she, um, she was doing this because it was customary for the women uh, that they would go the first hours of the day when it was milder versus going on the sixth hour, which is around 12 o'clock, when the sun is at its highest point and the temperature is hot. So through this, she perceives that Jesus is a prophet, and she reveals again what she thinks she knows, and Jesus explains to her, as a prophet would, what is to come. When my eye is on the one, I will be informative to them. We must be prepared to provide them useful information, guiding them to the truth. Jesus points out to her that coming soon, the city where one worships will no longer matter. The salvation is from the Jews, and the hour is close. Peter writes, uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope, for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. When our eyes are on the one, we will provide them the unique information they need. Next point is when our eyes, when our eye is on the one, we will introduce and invite them to Jesus. Look with me in verse 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Jesus reveals himself to her, inviting her to that living water he had previously spoken about. The conclusion is not going to church. It's not going to Jerusalem. It's not going to the mountain. We're doing better. The conclusion is Jesus. He will handle everything. Submit to his rule. Let God let go. Have you introduced your one to Jesus? Who is this Jesus, you may ask? Oh, he's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the bread of life. He's the creator, the counselor, cornerstone of my faith. He's the day star and my defender. Emmanuel, the first fruits from many, among many brethren. Governor and God incarnated. He's my hope, my horn of salvation. Infinite and the perfect judge. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's my master. He's the only begotten Son of God, full of truth and grace. He is the Prince of Peace, the perpetuation of my, my sin. He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my redeemer. Jesse is, Jesus is the stem of Jesse, salvation to all that believe on him. He is the truth, the way, the word of God, and the vine. Sum it up, he's my everything. Do you know him? When our eye is on the one, our one will be infectious to others. You know, I'm so thrilled when I see the display of God's healing and power in the lives of those that God saves. Newly born again Christians with so much zeal and raw joy and peace, which they attribute to their decision to follow Jesus. I mean, they can't stop from rejoicing of being set free from the burden that held them captive. They're eager to share how they have been set free. Truth be told, they energize me. I don't know about you. I mean, I look at Stephen as he comes in and out and, and to and fro. I mean, he is just so filled with the, the joy that Jesus has set him free. Look at that passage, 427 to 30. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away through town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. In verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Oh, so many times we we get to lead that one. But then they say, 
they come back and say, you know, I started the journey because you said this is what he has done for you, but I've tasted him now. I've handled him now. I've loved him now. I've gone through these, these different things now. And now he's my God. And I could stand upon that. She couldn't keep it to herself. She had to tell others. And lastly, when our eye is on the one, we will follow the instruction of our Savior. Verses 31 through 38. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruits for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. And here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I send you to reap that for which you did not labor, others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Field is ripe for harvest. Won't you go? Do you love him? Won't you tell about this love? Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus' last instruction, we call it the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. When our eye is on the one, we will follow the instructions of our Savior. Your one is your one because you are already connected. I challenge you to be intentional and interactive. Be interested in their inquiry. Be informative. Be inviting. Help them be infectious and follow Jesus' instructions. But you may be here today to say, I'm not a Christian. I haven't submitted myself to Jesus. I've come today as this woman did, this woman did to the well, needing something to help me make it through today or make it through this week. I say to you, friend, Jesus is the water that quenches that, that thirst. He fills and continues to fill that void that you might have been trying to fill with other things. And you found those other things be temporary. I'm here to tell you that proclaim that Jesus is permanent. 
So how do you receive Jesus? Anyone that has received Jesus realize that they're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And that I've done things that displeased God. I've transgressed against him. But yet, he still loves me. Paul writes, but God shows his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we rebelled against God, he continued to pursue me and gave his son, his only son, to die, be buried, and to raise again, to be raised again for me and for you. That we could be in right stands with God. We would not have to be condemned. We would not have to take the wrath of God. And all he asks us to do is to repent. To turn from thinking that we're the center of the universe and believe on the finished work that God has done through Jesus Christ. Paul furthermore writes, if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus, believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, that we too can be saved. So let us pray. With all heads bowed, and I wonder if there are any in the audience that would say, I know God wants me to be these eyes to a specific one. However, I'm, I'm not confident. But I want to be obedient to his will. I want to do that which I know that I've purposed, I'm called to do. Please pray for me. Put my faith into action. If that's you today, slip your hand up and then back down. Any in the building. They'll say, I pray for me. I want to be obedient. I want to tell. Father, thank you, Father, for the time we can share. And Father, I hope that we would be obedient to share that the beauty of the gospel to those that are in our circles of influence, but specifically to the one that, Lord, you have placed in our hearts. Help us to be interested in engaging, interactive, and intentional, informative. Help us be able to, to to share in their joy, that affectionate spirit that we have to come to the world. And we give you all the honor and glory. We pray in Christ. Amen.
Amen.